On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women, or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. On today's episode of Complicated Conversations, we are joined by Anna Reyes, who has an MFA from Louisiana State University. Her work has appeared in Bodega, Père Noir, New Delta Review, and elsewhere. She lives in Los Angeles, where she teaches creative writing to older adults at Santa Monica College. The House in the Pines is her first novel. Congratulations, Anna, on this beautiful book. We had tried to book you in December, but December gets wild, and we were so glad we could make it happen, even after Reese picked you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, welcome to Pop Fiction Women. So tell us really quickly, briefly, because we have so many questions and so much we want to dive into with this book. Um, Just so tell us a little bit about The House in the Pines. Yeah, so this is um, my debut novel, and it's about a young woman named Maya who lives in Boston. And she's trying to move on with her life after a difficult past when she sees this YouTube video that's gone viral in which her first boyfriend, Frank, is seen uh, sitting across from a woman at a diner, a young woman who drops dead. And this isn't the first time this has happened. Seven years ago, Maya's best friend was also talking to Frank when she dropped dead. And he never touched either of these women. There was no obvious signs of foul play. Um, yet Maya is convinced that he somehow caused both of these deaths. So she it's basically a story of her um, returning to her hometown of Pittsfield, Massachusetts, and coming face to face with Frank to figure out his secret. Um, and to do that, she has to return to this creepy house uh, that he built in the woods. Yeah. What a fantastic premise. I mean, obviously, I was hooked right away. Just there's so much at play here, even you know, in that short period of, of description, right? There is this idea, like, you know, clearly they're not going to unveil a gun or a knife. There's something weird is happening here and you know it right away and it just adds to the mystery. But as I was reading, and I think I said this in, in our pub date uh, post, the first chapter, I was just so hooked by Maya, right? A Again, there's a lot going on plot-wise that I'm interested in, but Maya is what I'm really holding on to in this story. And she's, we know right away, she's experiencing some withdrawal symptoms from going off a benzo that had once upon a time, I love that, helped her to sleep. And then now she's seeing something, what she thinks is a murder taking place, even though there's no physical touch here. And so it's she's unreliable in one way, but... She's also the only person who could possibly pursue this mystery and figure out what's actually going on here, which is just a great hook. Again, it's a kind of a little bit like girl on the train, right? Like she's unreliable, but she's the only one we can rely on. So we have to. Right. So tell us a little bit about Maya and your inspiration for her, challenges you had writing her and developing her, because I know, and I'm sure you'll talk 
a lot of it you drew from inspiration from your from your own life but how about building on that because she's not you She's not me. Yeah. I think um, because she is the first character that I spent so much time with um, as a writer, I'd never written anything this long before. Um, So I think that by default, she kind of did start out as me. I was writing from her perspective. And as you mentioned, I did draw from my own experience where when I started writing this book, I was going through clonopin withdrawal. Um, I had been prescribed it like she was by a doctor who didn't warn me that it was addictive. And then when I moved to a new state, got a new doctor, the new doctor cut me off of it um, because she was like, you can't be taking this every night. And I was like, well, nobody told me that. Yeah. <laughs> and she didn't quite believe that it was as addictive as it was. And so I started going through this withdrawal syndrome where she was like, you'll be fine. You know, eventually you're going to tire yourself out and sleep again, which made me question myself in a, in a big way because I was mm. like, am I going through quantum withdrawal or is, am I just losing my mind? Um, so I was going through this very self-questioning um, sort of period when I sat down to write this book. It was my thesis uh, for the MFA program that I was in. And when I wrote the book, I was really going through that withdrawal that I write about. So it helped me to write write about it, but it also helped the book because it made it, I think, feel very um, immediate since it was immediate yeah. for me. Um, but beyond that, Maya eventually, as I wrote, became her own person. So yeah. it just yeah. kind of started with that similarity. And we have similar backgrounds, but um, but she's very much her own person. And I kind of got to know her as I was writing. Um, with every new scene, she's confronted with some sort of conflict or some sort of choice she has to make. Um, so as I kind of put her through those paces, I, I learned who she was, like what kind of person is she? Is she the type of person to back down from a person who's confronting her? Is she the type of person um, to to fight for herself? So all of these things helped her become more clear in my mind as I wrote. Yeah, there's, there's even so much in that portion of your answer. So yeah, your own experience certainly gave it use an urgency. I think someone else had described it as visceral writing. I mean, it just feels like you're there with her in that moment. But it, you go beyond your own experiences. and But how did it help, did it, or question, did it help you process your own experiences? Were you coming, because her whole journey is about believing herself, you know, figuring herself out. And so did that help, did the writing help you do that in this portion of your life too? The writing helped a lot. Um, at the time, it was very difficult because I couldn't sleep and I was, you know, just having all these really kind of strange um, experiences uh, psychologically. When you go for so long without sleep, you start to feel a little bit confused and disoriented. So it was really hard to write, but I think in retrospect, um, it helped me sort out some of what I was dealing with yeah. because I was writing this character who wasn't believed, but I always believed her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. So, yeah, I always knew that she was right. And so in some ways, having this character that um, I could look at from the outside and say, other people don't believe her, but I do, it kind of helped me lend credence to my own experience, if that makes sense. Or yeah. I'm like, it's not like, you know, the doctor might not believe that I need more help than I'm getting right now, but I do. I, I know that I'm right. In retrospect, um, yeah. I know that I probably could have gone to another doctor and gotten better help, but um, just the level of disorientation that I had um, was such that I, that wasn't something I considered. So I think, I really think that help writing about Maya helped me through it. 
Um, and also helped me see her in a more sympathetic light so that I could eventually see myself in that light. Oh, I love that. I am also a terrible sleeper, by the way. And I know exactly what you're talking about when you describe how like that plays tricks with your mind. It really it does. And you're trying to apply logic on top of it. And you're like, no, I'm just exhausted. Like, yeah. this isn't clear right now. It can't be clear right now with the way yeah. my headspace is right now. So um, another element that you added from your own life that you gave to Maya and then kind of flourished with her was your Guatemalan heritage. Mm -hmm. And there's this unfinished manuscript that's part of the story. And in unskilled hands, I think this could sound like you're throwing the kitchen sink in, like, oh, I'm a little bit of this, throw this in. And everything that you add lends to the feel of this book. This book has a feel like it's so strong. It sucks you in. I know so many other writers have said atmospheric, just fairy tale quality of it was essentially what I thought of for the for the story. So why did you want to include that, that manuscript and and have that be part of Maya's journey? First of all, thank you for for saying fairy tale like because I'm a huge fairy tale fan. Same. Um, so it so for me that was exactly what I was going for with this story is this kind of fairy tale in her life. I've always loved that trope of a book within a book or a story within a story. Oh, yes. Um, so, it, so that was always a part of it was that she was, um, you know, influenced or in some way inspired by this book that her dead father had written. And that was always part of her character was that she was half Guatemalan like I am, but that she didn't know about that part of herself. And so finding this book kind of helps her, launches her on this um, sort of journey of exploring her own roots. And... That was always there because, like I said, she did really start out as me. And that's such an important part of my life. I was 17 the first time I went to Guatemala. Mm -hmm. So I had grown up hearing stories about it from my father, from my grandparents. And they talk about Guatemala in this glowing light because it's their, you know, it's their homeland. But I had never been there until I was 17. Mm -hmm. So before I went there, I had this glowing portrayal of it from, yeah. from my dad. But at the same time, I also had this sort of historical reference. I, had, I knew about the history of Guatemala. Um, so I had all these ideas, both um, good and also negative about it. But then when you go there, it's sort of the reality versus the imagined version. Sure. And, um, and that was something I think I sort of ended up weaving in as a theme is this idea of the place that you imagine versus the reality of the place and yeah. the, the difference between those things. And that really was my experience of Guatemala. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. And it's so true. And, and even the best storytellers, when they're engaging the senses, being there, the physical reality is just a, a different thing. Um, and then also, when you're coming there at a different time, like Maya goes back and she has a new perspective. She's a different person in some ways. And so you bring that, you bring the the memories of the stories, but then you also bring who you are right now. And so I thought all of that played really beautifully in this book. Um, we know that very early on in that first scene that Maya is suspicious of Frank all over again because of what she's watching, this YouTube video where he's sitting across from this other woman and she dies. And so there is something that's going on you know right from the start again no gun no no smoking gun no bloody knife uh, there's something else that she needs to figure out with this mystery what kind of journey i have some thoughts but what kind of journey do you think that she's going on when she's looking for that the answers 
Yeah, I think that's a really good question and one I hadn't thought about, but I would say that it's almost like trying to understand a magic trick. Like you see something happen and you're like, that seems impossible. Like, you know, the best magic shows that I've been to are the ones where um, they ask the audience for a word or something. And then the magician has the word in a bottle or something. So that impossibility, um, almost miraculous feat that you have to know how it's done. I think it's kind of like that, but in a very creepy way where she saw this thing that it's, it seems impossible. It seems like magic. So she's kind of tasked with figuring out this entirely um, impossible event. And so I think her journey is a, is a very uphill one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's a journey for truth that isn't so clearly like a to B to C. Um, And that ties perfectly, you're saying this kind of journey of the impossible to my next question, which I usually save for the end of an interview, but I really want to move it up here because it ties to to some things that your book really got me thinking about. I've always been someone who believes, like I just, I enjoy believing and I've embraced mysticism, which I define as spiritual comprehension of knowledge inaccessible to the intellect. Like what's what? Like I love believing that there's something that we can't quite our our brains can't as amazing as they are can't quite grasp, and that knowledge is attained through contemplation and self surrender. So personally, I embrace astrology when I need to surrender. I I've now started turning to tarot when I'm trying to connect with my intuition. And I've always been obsessed with dreams, right, as the subconscious telling us a metaphor for something else that's going on. So those are different practices and different reasons to turn to them. I I was curious, do you embrace anything of this sort, this kind of mystical, magical um, practice? And why, where, what does it help you turn to? Definitely dreams. Dreams are really important to me too. I, I I have a very lucky to have a very good recall of my dreams. So I'll often first thing when I wake up, I'll I, I don't write it down as much as I should. I, I want to keep a dream journal, but I'll usually sit there and think it over. And um, and I have there have been times in my life where I've dreamed things that actually did prove to be helpful in some way um, mm. in my life. Yeah. Also. Um, the practice of curanderismo, which is sort of like a healing art Mm. um, in Latin America. I recently visited a traditional healer um, and she did a sage smudge, sort of a cleansing of my aura. And, um, you know, I'm still sorting out what of that I believe in and what of it I think is just really, really wanting to believe in it. (laughs) But I think that I believe in it enough that it it did give me a sense of of um, just peace after she did that. I felt like, wow, there has been so much going on. And when she did that, I did just sort of feel this big exhale. Um, So I'm really interested in exploring that more too. Oh, I love that. And yeah, sometimes I don't want to know how the magic trick is done, right? Sometimes I just want to enjoy and experience the magic trick itself because that, it just leads to a sense of wonder, a sense of that the impossible is somehow possible. Um, I, that's, but again, it's it's always a balance, right? Because yeah. you, you don't want to get too far off in, in fairy tale <laughs> land. Wait, so can I ask you though? What do you know your astrological your sun sign? What, I'm a Scorpio. Okay. I don't know what my I don't know the difference between sun and moon sign. I'm not. 
That's totally okay. <laughs> That's okay. There's actually there's yeah there's a, a lot of different signs. Mercury is how you um, communicate. Mars is how you take action. But sun sign is mostly what people know. I just have come to ask sun sign because some people will say, oh, do you want to know my sun sign? Do you want to know my rising sign? What do you want to know? So, <laughs> a Scorpio. Do you relate to being a Scorpio at all or? What, I don't know a ton about it, but I actually have a friend um, who's really big on astrology, and she published a book last year called Exalted that's all about astrology. <sighs> and once oh she um, sat down with me and went over my chart and um, everything that she said, I was like, yeah, that does sound like me. Right. Um, so I think I do relate to being a Scorpio and that there's a um, like a level of intensity mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, yes. I, that I relate to and passion. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say that I do. I, I, I think I, I don't think I know enough about it to to articulate exactly the ways that I relate to it. But but I'm yeah. proud to be a Scorpio. Okay, <laughs> it seems I love like it. Sign. I love it. It's all it's a fixed sign, so a very stable, um, immutable. Some people might say stubborn, but <laughs> those people would be <laughs> wrong. Right. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's also a water sign, and I wanted to come back to which makes mm-hmm. me think of of dreams and dreamy, which I wanted to come back to. Um, you had said you would listen to your dreams was the first thing you had said. And that's how, back to the book, that's how part of this book came. The cabin that that is in this, that, that Maya returns to, came to you how? It came to me sort of naturally in the first story I ever wrote. Um, I was 11 when I wrote my first story. That and is wild. I did it to join a, a contest at, a, at the library that's mentioned in this book. Um, and I, I wanted to join the contest so I could win more books, which was the prize, <laughs> a gift certificate. And I just didn't know what I was doing, but I was reading a lot of Christopher Pike and Earl Stein. And so when I sat down to write a story, it turned into this creepy story about a cabin in the woods. <laughs> and um, I wrote that. I didn't win the contest, but uh, <laughs> 20 years went by. I sat down to write this novel. And again, I was going through sort of a difficult time where I wasn't sleeping a lot. And so I didn't sit down with as much intention as I as I would today where I knew exactly what I was going to be writing I just kind of sat down and was like all right let's do this <laughs> I've got a thesis due um, <laughs> and the cabin appeared again so so this book was kind of my exploration of of that place as a place and also as a symbol and also all the sort of um, fears that would surround such a place yeah yeah I love that and the themes of you talk about home and returning home and what does that mean and and how you know it's people will tend to think of nostalgia or memory as either a wonderful, magical place or a place like don't, you'll get stuck there, don't look back, don't, you know, that's what's past is past. And it's, I mean, it has to be both. And it's always a benefit to see both sides, which is part, a huge part of Maya's journey is taking what she knows as truth, but also seeking more and being open to what else she finds here. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. So I want to talk about the timeline of this book, too. You weave the past into the present without clear, like there's no time stamps. It's not, yeah. no chapter headings. Um, and it lends, again, to the ethereal quality of this novel, that it feels dreamy and we're floating through this space and time in Maya's life. How much of the past did you write? How did you know? I'm guessing you didn't start on page one and and <laughs> the end of this book. Um, I, I'm assuming you wrote much more than what is in this book. How did you know how to keep that balance? 
I think my sort of guiding principle was um, what if we, we know from the beginning of the story that Aubrey's going to die at the end of the summer. So for me, the parts that I included were the past were sort of what I would want to know. Um, this is I know this is this girl's last summer. I want to see all the things that led up to her death. So all the decisions that were made, also sort of the last the, the poignancy of um, the reader knowing, wow, this is the last time she and her friend are ever going to have, you know, a night out together where they go to this concert. So for me, all the things that I included in the past that I didn't end up cutting um, were things that I felt would land either in a, um, a poignant way because we know it's her final days or in a way that would sort of intrigue the reader to sort of look deeper and think, okay, is there something in this scene that's going to tell us how she dies or why she dies or what decision she made that was the wrong one. Um, so, so yeah, that was sort of my guiding principle, but like you said, it wasn't there from the beginning. It was originally yeah. not a dual timeline with just little flashbacks here and there. But as I wrote those, I was like, I really like writing them as teenagers and yeah. you know, it was coming out in a way that my readers were saying, you just need to do more of that. So eventually I just did made it dual timeline. I love that. I, I love it. I, you will encounter readers that think that it's pulling them out of the forward momentum of the narrative. But I am the, I'm always like, give me more, give me more of, <laughs> because I'm, if I trust the writer, which I did with you at all, at all times, I knew it was leading somewhere. And whether that's character development, whether that's understanding, building tension, raising the stakes, what all of the craft words that we use, uh, it was it was always there without even knowing what it was. And so I trusted that that moment. And I so I love it. It just is more rich to me personally. So this book um, we've already talked about was born out of many of your personal challenges and and kind of sticking points in your life. And you saw some struggle on this path. But you've also seen some really amazing kismet kind of moments from the beginning to, to where we are today. So I want to talk about getting your agent. I want to talk about your book selling. And then, of course, I want to talk about Reese. Yeah. So, so let's start with um, your agent. In your acknowledgments, you say that she was the one who had the idea of turning your thesis into a thriller. And you said, I've always loved reading suspense, but I wasn't sure I could write it until you suggested that I give it a shot, which I just love. Yeah, I, I, I really lucked out with my agent in that she was um, very honest with me with the first draft. Um, when she took me on as a client, she was like, I really like this, but <laughs> I think that, um, you know, it, it could use a little bit more sharpening because it was, I, I didn't really have a genre. It was a drama with some creepy elements and the house is always there. So there was kind of that eeriness, yeah. but I wasn't building towards the twist. It was like the story and then there was this twist. So she was like, you know, to make it more of a thriller, you really want to, you know, learn the thriller conventions and weave them into this story to sort of make it more of a thriller than it is right now and capitalize on what you already have in there, the eeriness that's already present. So it took me about two years, but I, you know, I'd always been reading thrillers. So now I was reading them and taking notes. In a different way, and, right? Yeah. Yeah, in yeah. a different way. And I was, you know, I would be... Um, star, you know, putting a star next to anything that was a red herring. Yes. And, you know, anytime a, a chapter ended on a cliffhanger, I would read it several times and just kind of try to figure out how the writer did that. Yes. And um, it took me about two years, but I was really lucky that my agent was willing to read draft after draft and continuously give me feedback. And she also gave me reading recommendations um, mm. for books that she thought might be helpful as I try to figure out how to write a thriller myself. Yeah. So, um, 
so that was that was really helpful. And then um, she eventually sold it to Dutton, and I had an editor, Maya Zeev, who um, had her own set of great notes. She was very character focused, so she really helped me bring the characters out more, and um, also helped me bring out some of the themes more. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, and that was just really exciting because as soon as I you know as soon as I started working with her, I was like, this is really happening. People are really going to read this book, and it just added a whole other level of pressure, but the good kind of pressure because it really forced me to to go through it all with a fine tooth comb. Yeah, you were saying like that your agent specifically told you like the because not every thriller is the same it's a very wide genre so you want third person or maybe you wanted something that was atmospheric or um you would focus on different things and i i know i said earlier that sometimes i don't want to know how the magic trick is done in writing i always do i always want to know like i'm totally picking apart like oh this is where they misdirected me and this is the the reference I thought I read one way and it was clearly something else. And so I love kind of looking behind the curtain with writing there. And it sounds like you did a lot of that. Yeah, I did do a lot of that. And I think you're right that thrillers is a huge genre. So you can't necessarily say there's one way to write a thriller, but there are certain tools that seem to be common to most thrillers. And that is um, raising questions in every chapter or every so often you really want to raise a question, even if it's not the main question, it's something to keep the reader turning pages because they need to find out these little um, answers yes. building up to the big answer. Yes. So, so I think that that is um, probably true to every type of That's thriller. Right. And then also the red herring, um, you don't want people to figure out your story at once. So you want to, um, and this was something that was added in subsequent drafts for me, you wanted to have these little sections where you're kind of misdirecting the reader yeah. so that they don't guess the truth. And yeah. um, and that's that's probably common to most thrillers too. That's true. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I love how you said you have to be asking questions or making the reader ask questions, but you also need answers because you don't want them by the end to have this like bucket full of yeah. questions like, huh? Because that's just, it's harder to do a satisfying ending when you're there. Yeah. So you have to answer as you go, but but to not let up on the questions. Absolutely. That's yeah. an any good thriller. You're right. Yeah. Okay. So Reese, so you got a call. What happened? So I got a call from my editor, Maya, and she said, can we do a Zoom tomorrow? Um, Something we want to talk to you about. And my agent was on the email, too. And I was like, "Okay." (laughs) So um, the next day, I had no idea what she was going to tell me. Can I ask you, though, do you sleep that night? I would not sleep that night. Oh, my God. I, I just like, I was in shock. I think I just sat there with my mouth, with my jaw hanging <laughs> open, yeah. probably for a full minute before yeah. I even responded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just in shock because I, you know, I, I had no idea how the book was going to be perceived. This was this was several months before, so right. I didn't really get a sense of. There was no reviews yet. I'd gotten like a few little reviews on Goodreads, but I didn't really have any sense of what it was going to be like, the reception. So I was just so excited. And then to not be able to tell anyone. Oh my God. <laughs> the hardest parts of this whole thing. Cause you know, there are so many people who I wanted to just tell like, guess what? Yes. Um, but I couldn't, you know, that was, that was the rule was yes. she's going to be announcing it herself on the of day course. of publication. So you can't. And I really, you know, every time I wanted to tell someone, I would just imagine, you know, Reese Witherspoon being disappointed <laughs> in me. <laughs> What a terrible thought. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was horrible enough for me to, to keep my mouth shut. That's, that's enough to zip you up, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, can't do that. Yeah. So we have talked to many uh, Reese picks on this podcast because we just love them. 
And so many people have different experiences. All of them keep very quiet, as we know. (laughs) But you, we're getting you right after. So sometimes we've had you know previous Reese picks with their new book or ones that can't tell us, and so don't say anything, and we don't get to talk about it at all. You're pretty fresh. You're a week out from your publication date, from the day that you could tell everyone, from the day that Reese Witherspoon is holding your book, your words, (laughs) and your hands. How are you feeling now? Is there some relief? Is there some terror? Is it all of it? (laughs) It's it's really a little bit of both. Where I'm hugely relieved that it's out and that it's out in the world. Um, but then there is that sense of, you know, I think a lot of writers are probably thin skinned people. Um, and so it's really exciting to see. I mean, clearly Reese Witherspoon allowed me to reach audiences much far beyond what I think I would have reached, you know, without her. Yeah. And so it's getting so many reads. And so that's really exciting. And then at the same time, there's like this uh, sort of vulnerability. Yeah. <laughs> where I'm like, this was such this, this is little thing that I wrote in my room that was very personal. And now it's just out there in the world. And everybody can see it. It's like sending your kid to, I mean, I don't have children, yeah, yeah. but I can imagine it's like sending your kid to school on the first day where it's like, yeah. you know, is, are they going to be nice to the kid or, yeah. or are they going to be mean to him? So, um, so I think that's, that's a feeling that, that I have right now. Absolutely. And with someone as huge as Reese, someone who is celebrity in her own right, and then also has this now ability to pick these books and, ha- you know, make them give them a wider audience you're just she has haters that then will be directed at you for no reason may have never even read your book uh you know i'm sure i know there are fewer and farther between but it's such a wild thing to be like this you have to remind yourself it's that's not about you but yeah how could it not feel like that oh completely that's i think that'll be one of the learning curves of this whole thing is is just being accustomed to having people who don't know you at all um you know, just saying whatever they want to. And a lot of it's been good, but of course, you know, that with anything that that many people read, there's going to be bad reviews too. So yeah. just developing that less thin skin. Yeah. So are you not reading? Are you like, don't tell me? Or are you like, well, you know, I'll take a look and just I, I cry myself to sleep I'm, one night? Yes, <laughs> some of that. Um, I, I haven't been looking really at the reviews on um, Amazon. I, I, I know that they're they're there, but I just would rather not look at those. And then Goodreads, I've actually a while back blocked on my computer because I found myself um, obsessing over it a little bit or, or at least checking it multiple times a day. And I was like, why am I doing this? There's literally nothing I can do. Um, you know, people are going to like it or they're not. I, I have no no there's nothing I can do. So I ended up blocking that on my computer just so the temptation wouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, but with reviews, you know, I've gotten some nice reviews in, you know, places like Kirkus yeah, and um, absolutely those I read because um, I just can't resist. Yeah. It's less of, you know, it's just one at a time. So yeah. it's less of a wormhole for me to tumble down. That, that's a good point. Um, a good friend of mine, Christy Tate, um, wrote group who was a Reese pick and her second book BFF is coming out next month. And she is, was just telling me, please, Corinne, please tell me to stop looking at, you know, (laughs) don't look, don't look. Yeah. Don't look. It doesn't, it's not going to help you. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you what is next for you? And I don't mean like when's book two coming up, but just like, are you processing all of this? Are you going to spend some time with this book, promoting this book? Are you also writing? How does that feel? Uh, and what were you able to focus on and do in this in the kind of liminal period before the book came out 
but after you knew it was going to be, did you even feel weight then? Because you knew this was going to be a Reese pick, right? So that is a pressure even without anyone else knowing. Yeah. Um, So I'm curious about that. So it's, I am working on something else, but right now it's, a little hard to focus honestly, yeah. <laughs> because there's so much going on and I'm just so, um, so grateful, but also a little bit overwhelmed, um, by the attention that the book is getting. So it's been a little bit difficult to focus on my next book, but luckily I did start it before, um, yeah. you know, before we really got into the, into the publishing hubbub. Um, and it's another thriller. It's going to be another creepy book and it's coming a lot faster, I think, because, I already, now I've done it. I know how to do it. I kind of learned those tricks of the thriller writing. So I'm going in with them as opposed to trying to weave them in after the fact. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a few weeks or maybe even months, I think, before I'm able to just sit down and calmly <laughs> get back yeah. to work. It's, it's been just such a wild ride. I can, I cannot imagine. I mean, I've had it on a smaller scale, just like between projects and, and trying to get out there and getting feedback. And, it just, it is a distraction. And I always know for me, like I'll get itchy. Like I need, first it's like, oh, I should write, I should write, I should write. And then yeah. one day it becomes, oh, I need to write. I There's yeah. too much going on and I need to write. I need to be able to access whatever I'm going through and talk about and write it out. So that's fascinating. I also want to ask you, what are you loving right now? Any books or TV shows, movies? I don't know, whatever you're into that you might want to share with our listeners. Um, I just recently finished Interview with a Vampire, the show, um, oh. the new show. Oh. And I just, it was great. Um, okay. I've never read Anne Rice, but going to grad school in Louisiana, I love New Orleans and I love anything set in New Orleans. So the show just sucked me right in. And now I want to actually read the books. Yeah. Um, Let's see. What I'm trying to think of other shows or books that that I've really loved. Have lately. you read any Grady Hendrix? Uh, Southern Gothic no. totally made me think of that. Uh, and vampires. Um, I, for, I'm, his titles are very pithy and wonderful. I cannot think of them off the top of my head right now. But check well, out. I'm Grady. excited for how to read a haunted or how to sell yes. a haunted house. Yes, I think it that's is. Right. That's, that's right. been on my radar for a long time because that's just been everywhere. So I've yeah. kind of like bookmarked it. Yes. And um, when I have a chance, I'm definitely going to read that one because I just think that's fun premise. Yes. Uh, the Vampire Book Club one, whatever the title is, that one I, I love too. And yeah, oh, I'm looking yeah. forward to that too. Um, yeah. All right. Those are good. Anything else? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off if you were going. Oh, no. Okay, good. All right. Well, let people know where they can find you besides all of our Hello Sunshine right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Honoreus Writer. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. It was an absolute delight to chat. Thank you so much for having me. I really like this conversation. Good, good. And I absolutely loved your book, The House in the Pines. So check it out. Thank you. Yeah. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore Women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. 
and keep it complicated.